Welcome everyone to this episode of XRC Pod. And today we're going to talk about addressing accessibility for and with XR. So what are some of the accessibility challenges that XR can solve for? And what are some of the challenges within XR as we as a community can solve? I'm excited to have our special guest today, Joel. Joel Ward is a technology strategist and consultant who dabbles a little in XR product development. He has worked with accessibility since the early days of the web and is now an advocate for bringing accessibility to XR. Joel, welcome to the episode. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we're, we're excited to have you. And of course, along with Joel, we have the, the usual suspects, Kirby and Nirav. What's up, guys? Hey, Vinay. Hey, Joel. And Joel, I think uh, dabbling is a little bit of an understatement for you. Well, yeah. Uh, I'd like to do more. I guess that's that's my point. That that's that's why I say that. <laughs> my I, I like building things. For sure, for sure. Uh, yeah, I think uh, when we're having fun, it feels a little bit like a dabble. But uh, Joe, a little bit more. Um, what do, what have you been working on lately? I've done in my whole career. I've done a little bit of everything at any given time, and and I've known Nirav actually for a while now. We've actually come from a similar background um, with the web and collaboration. But more recently, I have been focusing a lot on XR. Uh, past four or five years, uh, well, actually four years at this point, um, starting with VR, but then augmented reality and the HoloLens back in 2016, and ever since have have fallen in love with the possibilities of XR. So uh, it's not my, I wouldn't say it's my full-time job yet, which is why I mentioned Dabble, uh, but I, I do more than Dabble, to your point. At my job, we are building things in AR and VR, and my focus actually is more on the AR side. Um, but outside my job and, and kind of why we're here is I'm involved with uh, XR accessibility and some some groups out there that are uh, looking at and making sure XR is accessible. So I really love XR. I want everybody to be able to use it. And of course, the key is thinking about accessibility as early as possible. And that's something I love to talk about. Yeah, I think we're definitely excited to go a little bit deeper into what is it, what is accessibility and uh, how are some of the challenges that uh, we can address within XR and also uh, what can we use XR for? Uh, you know, I think so much about accessibility is also about um, understanding the challenges and opportunities. You can't just uh, do like a, a PRD, for example, of kind of these these hit points. Uh, but, you know, this is a really question for everybody. Uh, what situation do you think has caused you to really understand how infrequently we think about accessibility for everyday things we take for granted? So. When I first got interested in the uh, World Wide Web, uh, one of the uh, tech fellows that I was working with, uh, she was actually an early member of W3C and very much interested in accessibility. So I got invited to go to one of their conferences, TPAC, and the folks I met were just amazing. Uh, and in fact, one of the fellows I met was uh, had no eyesight. And just sitting with him and learning about how he used the web was very enlightening. And I think one really quick point about this, it's sort of like when you're a developer, we used to think about security coming last. Now we think about it up front. And that's what we need to do as designers and developers is put accessibility up front as well. Yeah, so, um, you know, accessibility has been a interest of mine for a long time. I wouldn't say it it took a, a moment to turn into a bit of more of a passion, but you know, going back to when I was in college, I had the opportunity to volunteer at a hospital in, in, in rural India. I met some kids with minor disabilities that were completely excluded from the economy because they couldn't uh, manage to get down and up the hills 
in, in their neighborhood. You know, Vinay, when you and I were in Colombia um, and, and I had my uh, motorcycle accident, I really got, and thanks to Joel's prompting, actually, I got to play around with a lot of accessibility enabling tools. Camera mouse, uh, I started using uh, VR uh, pain management uh, uh, tools. And just kind of the challenges I had made kind of the initial thought I had from college, from meeting the, these uh, amazingly intelligent kids who just were not part of the economy come alive. And, you know, trying to think about what how VR can enable um, people to be more part of the economy, frankly, contribute to society, um, you know, feel a, a sense of uh, productivity. And, uh, you know, I got invited to the XR Access Summit. I asked Joel to join, and he kind of just took it and run, ran. Um, he's doing some amazing things with him. That's awesome, yeah. So uh, my my own journey uh, started back in the early days of the Web2, uh, Kirby, when uh, W3C was working on uh, the accessibility guidelines. And in America, we had the Section 508, um, part of the Rehabilitation Act, and uh, I was new to building websites and, you know, coming from that perspective and also how everybody sort of builds things for themselves. Uh, I, you know, I didn't have that perspective so much uh, thinking about other people. Um, but what I would say is uh, I was asked to work on a project for evaluating accessibility for websites. And then I became uh, my company at the time, uh, one of the people that focused on that. And it started with, OK, here's the rules. You got to follow the rules. And just make sure you follow the rules and magically it's accessible but then what i learned and this is really what has sort of driven me ever since and this is over 20 years ago is that uh it's not just following the rules it's you really have to have the attitude right and the perspective and you have to start with the rules but then you really need to understand why you're doing it and then that will translate to everything else so i did that for the web which was which came out of the americans with disabilities act and the rehabilitation act which are american laws uh, that also include things like buildings and as well as websites and applications and other things like that. Um, it, it's, it has to be part of, of how you think, not just a checklist. And I think that's something that's key and that, that, I, that it really sort of set the stage for me is everything that I do is how can someone else use it and how can other people different than me use these things. And, and that's a those are great examples, right? Uh, both in terms of the the personal experience, but also as we start to look at more kind of that design thinking. Um, what are really what does it mean actually to design for accessibility? How do you start thinking about it um, in a way that uh, really kind of addresses some of the core uh, challenges that that we have? Well, that's a good question. So they, like I said, there's there's things you can follow the rules to design for accessibility, but honestly, it's it's putting yourself in someone else's shoes which you can do yourself to evaluate things, but really is have other people try it and give you that kind of feedback. And really thinking about uh, when you're building something, it is for a much wider audience than just yourself. And that there are also going to be different ways that people interact with it, right? And this is the case with, with anybody. It's with people of all abilities, um, everybody uses things in different ways. And it kind of to your point, we even go through phases of our life where our abilities might change, right? And that that also is part of this. Um, it's whenever you design something, there's likely going to be multiple ways it's used. And so if you think, think that way, not just say, okay, there's only one path that I need to follow and everybody has to follow that path in order to participate, um, that's usually when you're gonna run into failure, right? So if you, if you think in a way that, um, and I always like to say there's like, 
I used to work in SharePoint, and um, there's a million different ways you can do the same thing, usually, not always. Um, and that's okay, right? So some people might do something one way, and, and some other people might do things in another way. Uh, just just being aware of that is number one, and, and that that's what can make things accessible. You mentioned design thinking, and there's also the concept of universal design, which generally I think is a good thing to think is making things that are uh, accessible to the widest audience possible um, helps, but it's also not the final answer either. There's also going to be specialty and, and very specific things that, that people will also need. So making your designing to be open as well, to, to add on to what you're building, not just build something that you think is universally designed, um, but also may not fit for everybody. So it's Again, it's mostly a philosophy. There's no one answer, and we all want to kind of get down to here's a guide, set of guidelines like we have for these laws in the U.S. that you say if you just follow these Section 508 guidelines, your your website's magically accessible. Well, that's not true. If you if you test to that, um, a lot of the time somebody who comes in who actually needs to use it will not be still not be able to use it, even though it may have passed your tests. So it's 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 a much more complex answer than just just yeah. having a checklist. No, for sure. And I think uh, you said you know, it's much more philosophy, right, than, than a checklist. And I think that's an important distinction as we talk about accessibility and many of these other topics that addressing them, talking about it, and making them more aware really helps because products aren't built in a vacuum um, and they're also not built by a single person. They're always you know, built by a, a group or a community. Uh, and so understanding to that these challenges exist, what things, other considerations to make are also important. Uh, but, you know, oftentimes yep. we don't react until there's a problem. So in the QA world, for example, it's said that it's much cheaper to address a problem before it's shipped. And we, I don't know if we really see that sentiment with accessibility. So what happens when we design for accessibility once the house has already been built? Well, we, we see that all the time. Uh, and, and you mentioned going to other countries now, which most other countries do not have laws like ours. We've had laws since the 60s and 70s that have driven a lot of our um, physical building accessibility uh, in, in here in the U.S. And since the 90s, um, there's been a lot more on the on the communication and technology side of things. But a lot of other countries don't have that. So if you go to these countries and you have a disability, um, say if you're in a wheelchair, a lot of places don't have ramps because it's very expensive to retrofit a ramp in a lot of places, especially cramped locations. Uh, and so sure, often yeah. it just doesn't happen, right? Yeah, we've seen that uh, actually. So I was uh, on a plane with a very tall disabled uh, Nero trying to get down um, stairs um, on the tarmac. Oh. It was his wheelchair. Um, it was one of the most harrowing experiences because he was actually lifted in his wheelchair and carried down a very long flight of stairs in, in very hot weather. And we're very fortunate that there was a, a staff that were to do that. But if you were to take a picture of that, uh, or even even be in my situation, nobody was trained or prepared for this, right? Yeah. Um, and and so you kind of really it was kind of glaring that while I appreciate when you do travel internationally, however, there is definitely a sense of community, right? Uh, you it's, you obvious when you're in Japan. If you need help, people will help you. However, while that's a great spirit, uh, I think that that was something that just still terrifies me just thinking about how close uh, you, we, we ever, how close we were to disaster. Vinay, in my mind, I was uh, really, I just won the world championships and uh, they were hoisting me over the shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's exactly, it's exactly how you were hoisted actually, uh, very precariously above shoulders uh, with, with actually uh, staff members that weren't even trained or even physically equipped to, right. to lift that load. Um, so yeah, it was actually very interesting. 
So actually, that that's a good anecdote because, like you said, there's there's a workaround. That's essentially a workaround, and that's often what happens if you don't design for accessibility. You have these workarounds, and um, it does go back to the 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 concept that we've had over the years is separate but equal. Like essentially, you have a separate sort of experience that people think is going to be equal, and it's not. It is. It does not allow the person that it, that needs to do that thing to do it themselves, right? If you're if you if you're being carried up those stairs, you're not doing it yourself. Um, you actually that, that's that's kind of the goal of accessibility is you you allow something to be used by anybody on their own. Like people yeah. want independence, people want to be part of it. If you're doing it for them, which I mean, again, there's nothing wrong with that. And again, that's a workaround that's been been used for many years, I mean, probably centuries at this point, thousands of years, to help people that that need help, right? And there's nothing wrong with helping somebody. But the idea of accessibility is you are the one doing it for yourself and participating yourself. Hey, Joel, you bring up a few interesting points. So I love the concept of, uh, I mean, often we see accessibility um, teams growing out of compliance teams or, or quality assurance teams. That's one thing. But also, I, I think when you're talking design thinking for accessibility, I think we need to keep in mind that everyone is not, there's a lot of different shades of, of disability and there is a lot of, there's a lot of temporary uh, disabilities. Right. So, for example, the my, my my arm and leg injury was a temporary thing. It was an eye open thing, but but, uh, you know, definitely not something that's going to persist through my life, hopefully. Um, whereas and, and, and millions and millions of people are temporarily temporarily disabled. So we may think without particularly people who are perfectly healthy and don't have uh, ongoing problems that they don't need to worry about it. But the fact is we can all be disabled at some point or another in our lives. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, with aging population, I mean, that's that's a big thing. You think as you're young, you're never going to have um, anything change. And <laughs> sorry, guys, we're all getting older and I'm already starting to have problems in, in my age now. Um, it, it happens, right? And so uh, not that not not that you should do this for selfish reasons, but the point is people change. But then, you know, again, there's a wide variety of people with 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 different abilities that may change or they may stay the same and enabling the world. Essentially, here's what I was thinking that actually kind of a bit of clarity I had um, as I was thinking about this preparing for the podcast is you're changing the world to help them versus changing them to, to fit into the world. The idea is that um, you, you really want to make the world adaptable so anybody can participate in it because the other way around is, is never going to work. And also, there's also also ethical questions about doing that as well. Uh, yeah, and so so well put. I was just gonna say that the way I look at it is empathy first, and that's you know something that is difficult to teach. Uh, but I find definitely as I get older, I have a lot more empathy for <laughs> folks around me, and just understanding, uh, being able to see the world from their point of view really helps, and. Uh, you know, along with that, it's like you say, it's not just an afterthought or a workaround, but being inclusive. And that's very, very much a hot topic these days. How do we get everybody in the world participating uh, with equity? That's a great, that's a great point. Um, actually, Embodied Labs really is that that's, they've kind of built a, a product in VR for empathy, right? What does it mean yeah. when you actually understand a situation and how does that uh, impact caregivers? Or, um, so it, it's, it's empathy is really important. But I love what you said, Joel, about really about accessibility means to empower every individual. 
Uh, and, I, and I think that's a very powerful statement because it's not just about taking care of somebody, but it's allowing them to to be them. Uh, and right. I think that's an important um, distinction because sometimes we think of accessibility as as accommodating a disability, right? Um, and I think that when you think about things in those terms, you, you're you're not really addressing some of the, the core opportunities and kind of that philosophies versus it putting it down the list of a feature set. And and maybe for right. the right reasons, we don't necessarily have a, a checklist. Like we've seen that even with you know some designs where you, because you have a checklist, you want to put a wheelchair ramp, for example, not realizing that that, that wheelchair ramp, aside from it making sure it's not too steep, it's not positioned in a way where you have the optimal experience going to the front of the building, which is also designed for a certain way. Uh, and not just for that individual, but everyone else that follows that path. Um, Nirav had a great example about even temporary disabilities. What is temporary, right? If, if, it's, if it's something that eventually may go away, but if it takes years and you don't have the facilities to, to be able to empower yourself, what does that do for you long-term as well? Um, but I, but I think, uh, you know, as we look at the accessibility, some of the accessibility challenges, um, the XR really is a great tool for this, right? Um, well, how are we seeing that X, uh, is XR addressing to help solve these real world uh, problems? Sure, so some of the, the um, and you actually mentioned one of the use cases that um, is real interesting with um, uh, the empathy training and and, and experience, right? Which, which um, is more on on the side of uh, of, of general population awareness, um, but one one big area, and I know you guys have been talking about this in the, in the past couple of podcasts, is um, using XR for for social and and meeting, chatting, collaboration, and work. And when I say social, I, I include things from games, which obviously actually even outside of XR, games is a big big space for everybody to be social, including people with disabilities, but also personal having. We're having a, uh, we're doing this over Microsoft Teams now, and we're seeing each other. But having this kind of interaction in XR, as, as we have all talked about and are all very interested in, has a much better um, feel than some of the other remote mediums. And then for work, which actually um, is not an optional thing, as as work goes into virtual, um, it can, it needs to support this, but at the same time, it also can um, help many more people be engaged with work might not have either the physical access that they might normally have or if they do they're they're just it's been hard to include them in other ways there's ways that inclusion can be uh, enhanced by using some xr um, so that's one the social the training part and, and we, we talked this thing that, that my company has been doing for a while is just training in general but being able to engage people with training um, in different ways uh, no matter what their abilities um, where is is traditionally, you know, there's going to be some struggles of getting people involved there. And then um, things like therapy and medical too, right? Where you can, you can go somewhere where, where you don't have access to, or, uh, and obviously the whole medical space um, is, is growing with being able to use uh, AR, VR for both um, you know, diagnosis as well as treatment. And, and that can also help in this space too. And those are that's just kind of the tip of the iceberg. And I think there, there's a lot more that we We'll figure out once more people use it, and that's what I'm really interested in, in using it. Let's try these things, see what actually does work and what can help, and and build on that. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, and again, it's you know kind of really well kind of framed up as well. You know, we've also seen uh, some really great technologies uh, in addition to some of these uh, applications or experiences that really help it to address accessibility, right? Like hand tracking. 
Hand tracking is an incredibly difficult thing to solve for because it needs to be accurate. Um, eye tracking, we actually had an episode on eye tracking to totally talk about all the things that that actually um, unlocks and uncovers. Uh, so there's definitely some of these hardware innovations that that uh, that we're seeing. Um, and there, those are actually really solving a lot of the challenges within XR. Um, what are other some ways that, uh, especially in, you know, that we look at COVID impact, businesses reopening, schools kind of being restructured. You know, that we see that a lot, especially in the school system, uh, where maybe because children are so near and dear, even if you don't have them, you can always relate to some of these challenges. Uh, whether you're talking about learning disabilities or things that are, may not even really be disabilities in the traditional sense, but how we learn and how we interact. Um, uh, what are some really great ways that XR can be used as more of that planning tool, right? Scenario planning. Um, and, and we've seen some of that in some of the, the wargaming conversations we had uh, earlier. Uh, yes. Yeah, so, well, I mean, you mentioned education. Uh, and um, I mean, I, I've seen even now where, so the challenge with XR in general is is people getting in getting hardware, right, and getting access to it, which then, then translates over to accessibility. Is the hardware accessible? Is the software accessible, et cetera, et cetera. But the big, the first hurdle is getting the, the devices. Um, even, so even now where not everybody has a device, uh, you know, we're seeing it used for creating educational material where maybe the teachers in XR, right, or maybe the teacher and some of the, the, the people creating that content is in XR and, and it's recorded and it's a three-dimensional experience even if not everybody's not in that. So it's the first sort of step into eventually if everybody can get into it and experience it, um, which is our dream, then then you can all actually have that that fully immersive experience. But the first step is um, letting them see it and giving them a more visual experience, um, a more three-dimensional experience with with more, more complexity than somebody standing in front of a, a white wall, right? Um, and, and which also then includes engagement. Like, how do you make something engaging? Uh, again, standing doing a PowerPoint, and and Nerv, you and I have done this for many years, where you have a, like a, 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 a Zoom call with a PowerPoint, and maybe your face up there, and um, you know it can be very interesting. But but sometimes you want to make it make it more more interesting than that. Um, sorry. In response to kind of your answer, it kind of made me think of there is accessibility from the perspective of helping people with different abilities engage in the product, right? And then there is another track, which is helping people understand what it's like to be disabled or uh, differently abled, right? And then the third track, um, which is really a matter of instituting um, tools and techniques that might be informed by the disabled, but end up making the entire experience easier to use. Is that a good way to break down the space? I kind of have heard you kind of cycling through those in, in your response. Yeah, and actually, the um, maybe think as you're as you're talking there, one of the um, thinking more in the education space. And by the way, my some my my younger son um, has disabilities, and, and and so I have some personal experience here where. And actually, this is the case for for really any kid in school. the The idea that everybody learns in a different way, um, and this that that also fits into accessibility. Everybody, I mean, this is this is true. Everybody learns a different way. You know, there's a lot of psychology behind this, and there's different personality types and learning types, and it has to do with a lot of different things. So there's really no one way to do anything that fits for everybody. And the the cool thing about 
technology like XR, and I'd love to see that now. I, I wish we had this for school now, because uh, as seeing our both of my kids in um, Blackboard calls all day long, and you know, it's pretty amazing that they have learned how to do that so quickly. And then they come back to me and my wife comes to me and says, I can't believe you're in front of, in front of the computer all day long. Um, how do you do that? Um, I, I assume the kids will kind of adapt to it, but it's really not ideal. Like I, I do agree with that. This is, this is really not the best way to, to teach kids, right? Uh, and maybe they'll adapt to it and maybe then that it'll, it'll, it'll be fine. But I really, I think something like XR um, or XR with coupled with the ability to sort of customize it per person per student, that's sort of the dream, right? And sort of XR combined with AI or sort of magic, right? Which is everybody's dream now. How, how do we get to that point? Um, that's that's where we're going. And then people can participate better. They can learn more. And um, and that also is an accessibility solution, right? That, yeah. that can help all of this. Yeah, I think you see that a lot, you know, where whenever we see a new technology, we want to do all the things we're doing poorly with that new technology, right? Um, you know, we, we took a model of learning that was really built for scale um, and hitting very specific KPIs so you get funded, and we did it in Zoom, right? So you you took the worst aspects of video conferencing and the worst aspects of learning, and you combine them, and you you get this scenario, right? And so you it, it kind of uncovers so much of these challenges. Which is also really funny because that's some of the challenges that you have with XR as well. That you're doing, you're trying to map how you do stuff in the real world to exactly an XR, and you're, it's just not really resonating. Um, I, you know, I think that a better way to, to maybe restructure, um, you know, in this in this format is how do we like going back to the issue, the challenge, right? How do we learn? How are the different learning archetypes? Who are the people that are trying to learn in this model? And maybe try to do it a little bit differently, right? Rather than going to school for eight hours a day in Zoom, maybe we can break this up a little bit um, in terms of spending a couple of days on topics in math, having these discussions, and then spending a little bit more time on when it comes to the, maybe say literature or history, or maybe using these topics as a mental break um, as well, right? Um, and then some things you can do on your own, come back and feedback to the group, some things you can do on Zoom. Um, and I think XR here, is invaluable in that you don't have to be in a headset all day, but you could do things like do your science lab and understand those advanced concepts um, and maybe even get some of that physical help. Um, and there's, there's just so many of these tools that if we were to take a step back a little bit and understand what is it that we're trying to solve for, what the what are the who and for whom and what assets do we have in front of us? And I, I think this naturally kind of falls into that philosophy that you had mentioned earlier about um, accessibility. Yeah. I'll just pull out the first and the last, right? I mean, okay. the, there's the accessibility for the sake of helping people who are dis differently abled make use of the tools, right? And there's accessibility, an accessibility focus on learning from what that those different abilities contribute to make the experience better for everyone. And, you know, let's, let's face the facts, the reason why current web applications are not developed for the disabled is because one, lack of understanding and two, the cost, right? But if we can think just as a philosophical way, how we can learn from people with different abilities and engineer for them, and that makes a better experience for everyone, 
you don't even you don't really have to worry as much about that compliance question. Well, so to your point, so I, I, those are two good points, right? One is what, and really, the, both of these tie into talking with people that use your products, right? And so, number one is what are the challenges they have, and so people with disabilities, what are the challenges they having? Can what can you solve for them, either in the core product or adding on to that, which is you know sort of there's a whole realm in, in accessible and assistive technology that comes in for that. Uh, a lot of it is very specialized because. Some people may have very, very special needs that um, is not going to ever be addressed by a, a generic, you know, OEM device. But even even then, it's good to kind of understand what's out there and and start to build some of it into the core, right? But so there's core plus addition. And then the second part is um, it, really including the, those people in the whole process. And that's actually what is a problem across the board, where um, from again from buildings applications to the web. Now to XR, uh, people with disabilities are not included. And so that's where we need to get people included. And the more they're included, the more we'll see and get, have their input and they have great input. Um, just like honestly asking anybody who uses your product, they will give you good, good input. And then obviously you can decide what makes sense to put in your core product versus maybe making a specialized product to attach exactly. to it. But understanding that is the first part. And if you don't ever talk to people and understand this, you're never, I mean, honestly, I can guess a lot of things that that will solve for different people, but I don't know. So I mean, really, it's talking to people that 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 are using it, and then we'll actually be able to do that. I mean, so again, my son, my son has cerebral palsy, so I see you know one small slice of the disability community there. But you know, even even what uh, how he uses things can be different from somebody else with cerebral palsy, right? So it it's doesn't even what he his doesn't apply across the board. But but at least I'm getting that that view there, and so that can sort of help me think for at least for him what solutions might might work. But you really need to expand that out into a much wider community. Yeah. So you know, thinking about the web there, it it's really interesting, especially as mobile phones became uh, became what they are, big part of our lives, and you know we have this term responsive web design. Imagine if we had applications, no matter what they're built on, whether it's web or Unity or this or that XR, imagine if it could respond to the individual, you know, and that's maybe that big thing you were talking about mm -hmm. combining, you know, XR with AI or having like true ambient computing where the system adjusts to you, to the way you interact with the world. Uh, I mean, that would be pretty amazing. The other point I wanted to remind everyone about is early on, if you remember Nicholas Negroponte, mm -hmm. he had this initiative called One Laptop Per Child. Yes. <laughs> Wouldn't it be amazing if we had something like that for XR to, to get that out to kids early and get their feedback, how they use it, how they learn from it, etc. Have them well, build within yeah. it. No, that's a really interesting thought. And, and um, I love the idea of of having that sort of adaptable system, which I that's the dream. That's what I I don't know how to do that, <laughs> but that's what I think that would be great. Where you sort of have here's my sort of set of of um, configuration, and as I use these different system, it kind of pulls that in and it adapts it for me. But that's where you you do need the idea of sort of standards in a way, right? And we have that for the web. Like the web has evolved over time with with HTML and CSS and JavaScript and all the things. And there are some standard ways now for for integrating in with that. It's still not perfect, but it's evolved that way. 
Um, I, we don't still have what you're talking about, but that would be great, right? Across for di different applications, virtual applications, web applications, XR. Um, the OLPC one is an interesting one because that that came around, right? It was uh, what 15, 10, 15 years, 15, 15 years ago, right? 20 years ago. Yeah. Um, it's and basically that turned ago. into the netbooks, right? They built those and then essentially the companies build netbooks and then we sort of had like small computing and then we eventually had the iPad, um, which is not not particularly inexpensive either. <laughs> the OLPC what was like $100. That was the goal, right? And, and to get it to as many kids as possible. Um, I love the idea in, of getting that out. Well, actually, that's again, back to what, what I'd like to do is, is get more people to try it, but that's the catch-22. People are not... People are not going to buy it if it doesn't work for them. And also, it's not inexpensive, so they're not just going to buy it to try it. So how do we get people to try it? And to your point, is there a way to do that and seed that? Um, with COVID happening now, it's a little harder because there are actually like loaner systems out there. And that's that's something that's one option, right, is where you might not give it to everybody, but you loan it out. During COVID, that's obviously going to be much harder. But if we kind of think maybe a little bit after this pandemic is over, how do we get people trying it? And also, can we get some less expensive devices out there? Um, and I guess the the whole idea of cardboard was maybe sort of that. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, where, where has that ended up? And that's obviously not the same experience that we really all want people to try anyway. But, you know, that, that sort of has died down. And now there's really no real low-end device um, that's quite in the same realm that we can get people to try yeah. easily. I think but I, that's great. Maybe we can talk to the XPRIZE folks and put out a yeah. challenge that's 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 cool yeah yeah that's a, that's a kind of fun thing about you know these groups we talked about hackathons a, a couple episodes ago um you know these different community involvements of trying to solve these these community problems with very different perspectives uh, i do think i do want to double click a little bit more on some of the things we can solve for in vr um here real soon just because of where we're at in the in the adoption front but Let's let's talk about for AR for before we get in there. I know you're you're a big fan of AR, Joel, um, and have a lot tons of experience there as well. Uh, it's it's an area that you know when we talk about AR, we talk a lot about uh, commercial use cases, a lot in the manufacturing production lines. But we I don't think and we've, we've imagined AR to really be more of that super human feature set, right? But what about in the near term? What about now? Um, what are some of the dis the accessibility thinking uh, for AR, and what are maybe some of the things that's actually happening now that that address this? Yeah, so uh, already there are a couple companies, including Microsoft and IBM, that have um, apps for your phone that can translate for, for people with with low vision or or who are blind that can translate what the phone sees into um, speech, and, and also vice versa, right? So using and, 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 and so that's kind of a version of AR, right? Or, or sort of having the yep. phone where you can talk and it tra can translate into written text, which is uh, all around now and getting much better. And then the other way around is using the camera to do computer vision and translate that to speech for someone who can't see it. So that's sort of the beginning of it. And then if you think of, of glasses that are out now, and, and as we're waiting for less expensive glasses to come out, uh, like Unreal's coming out with, with some soon, and Microsoft, of course, has the HoloLens, but that's pretty expensive. Um, but some of these lower lower and glasses that could do those same kinds of things without having to hold the phone up, right, for, for vision. But then the other part of it is audio, right? So again, for people that might not need the vision part, there's also audio AR glasses that have spatial audio for things like directions. And so the person may, may not necessarily need 
the the vision part, but they that it's it there's still sent maybe sensors there that are looking around and telling the person where to go and then giving them audio cues or maybe even haptic cues um, on that. Um, and actually, even thinking on on the the visual part, uh, I, I've seen and I don't think there's anything in in production now, but I've seen glasses that can help people with low vision see more accurately, right? Where it actually can take it can translate. The, the light coming in into something that can be sent into the eye and give the person with low vision the ability to understand their surroundings better, right? So things like that, that sort of combined together with sort of sensors and either visual, audio, haptic, um, there's bits and pieces that exist now, uh, and then that's only gonna get better. And the key is there also needs to get more affordable, um, but we're starting to see that now. And, and that's what's really exciting is, is that combination of things, not just thinking about AR in the sense that it's a camera or, a, or lenses with something on it, but it's part of a system that has things that can interact with the world and translate that to whatever the person needs. It's fascinating. Yeah, we, we oftentimes we look at uh, AR or just even these technologies being more entertainment, right? And so more fun things right. we want to do. We, we kind of also forget that there's there's still so many more gaps that enrich our lives that are not just entertainment that uh, these technologies can solve for. And actually, I just thought um, one more thing that I, I wanted to mention related to that is, is communication, um, which is also something that, that is near and dear to me because my son is nonverbal and he uses an iPad to talk now. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are, is work being done with uh, both the AR and the camera to and actually Nerev, you like this the, the whole idea of brain computer interface eeg um different kinds of input from the person to translate into speech right which could either be verbal speech or written speech um or maybe one day we're actually doing like esp between people but however the communication <laughs> is um basically translating between the communication that person can do and somebody else can do like we're all talking we're all speaking in english to each other uh, but there's also systems where we can speak and it translates into other languages. So we like like the uh, the Babelfish, right, out of um, Hitchhikers, um, where that already kind of exists. But then also for people who might not be able to speak like we do, um, and like my son, he uses this iPad where he actually has to navigate through a lot of different screens. It's not very efficient, but he's actually learned to do it pretty well. Um, but they're, they're working on ways of speeding that up and, and also um, giving it to getting into people that don't have... Um, even the ability to do something like that to communicate. Because a lot of people that don't are, are nonverbal uh, may not have another way to translate into speech. And that's something where, where AR and VR, uh, more particularly AR, can actually be part of that solution. You know, uh, Joel, you definitely are going into territory that I love talking about. Um, <laughs> and I just have a question. On, I mean, you, you kind of are going in down this path, right, of uh, assistive technologies for, um, but what is, well, one, can you talk a little bit more about any use cases that you've seen in terms of um, ne- neural connections? Um, in terms, like, I know I know out of Berlin, we, 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 we looked into this, the experiment around uh, enhanced vision using cameras and tying that directly into the nervous system. Um, and then is this kind of from the community, is this something that is welcome or not? Oh, you mean so going in more to the cyborg side of things? Exactly. Kind of what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, so that's a good question, right? So that gets into the territory of changing the person versus adapting the world around them. Yeah. Um, and it, depending how you ask, that um, it is or is not something that is interesting. And a lot of people, uh, people with disabilities, um, 
they are that them, right? That that they they're a person with a disability. That's that's part of their, um, that's part of who define what defines them. Yeah. And so, um, it and I would say it really depends on the individual, right? So I mean, there's obviously medical things that that can help people um, adapt their bodies to the world. And so it's actually kind of fascinating, like what um, Elon Musk is doing with the whole Neuralink right. idea, right? Which um, we'll see how that turns out. We're not at the point, right, where where that can actually read our minds yet. It can read our brain activity. It's not reading our minds. That's what everybody's afraid of: is that eventually it'll be able to read our minds. And is that something we want? But but in, you know, in the interim, it's like, can you at least read the the sensations coming off of my some of my bio? You know. Yeah, I mean, you know, like David Eagleman has that vest that um, you have the tactile response on 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 a back. So you can, the deaf can hear, you think right. tactile sensation. Yeah, but that's a thin line between that and then, you know, a wearable versus going even more invasive. So. Yeah. And so, again, I think it really depends on the person and, and what yeah. they're looking for. Right. And so um, I think for 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 anybody is we we should not tell them, hey, you should fix something that's wrong with you. Yeah. But if you want to change yourself to adapt yourself, I, you know, I, I, that's much less controversial, right? That's something that you, you need to fix. It's either something that, that happened, uh, well, you know, temporarily, like, like with you and your leg or, or maybe something you were born with and you do want to change yourself. I mean, people do plastic surgery all the time. It's up to them. We shouldn't say, Hey, you should fix your nose, but if you want to right. change your nose, go ahead and change your nose. I mean, this is obviously a little bit different than that, but um, I think it's the same thing. And so again, it depends who you ask. Um, I, I'm, I'm mainly interested in, in finding things that um, people can use if they want to help them participate. And really, the, again, the focus is what is the technology out there that we can we can offer up to people where they can then better participate in the world. Yeah. Right. And then and then it's up to them if they want to use it. Um, but we can kind of come up with that and say, here's here it is. You can try it out. Does it work? Does it solve the problem? What is, what is the problem you want to solve? Let's help solve it. Well, the, yeah. the interesting bit on that with, especially I think with augmented reality, uh, like you're focusing on, is that it really changes all of us, even if you're not, you know, one of one of those 25% uh, uh, population in the US that has some type of uh, disability, uh, it enables all of us to have a superpower. So maybe right. it's how we look at it, right? It's, right, that's yeah. true, yeah, yep. Yeah, I think uh, it's a great point, Joe, about, um, giving options and, and letting those decide when, uh, what actually fits. Um, you, we talk a lot about empowering the individual. How about um, just real quick on what are uh, opportunities or tools available to empower those that are also supporting these individuals? Uh, sure. Um, so talking about stuff like like organizations they can get involved in, for example. Yeah, exactly. Like, so I think maybe a combination of both organizations. So, you know, as we look at, we all have a responsibility. Right. Um, and, and I think one of the responsibilities, especially being in this space, is to be informed. And there's some challenges there when we talk about um, some of the responsibilities on the OEM side. So OEMs will take care of certain parts. But how can the individual listening to this podcast get involved? Sure. Well, so number one is just just get informed. And uh, there's multiple ways to do that. Um, what I will call out um, is is an organization that I've been involved with, uh, and and Nerve actually pulled me into is XR Access, um, and uh, that organization is actually looking to bridge across the entire industry and academia, because there is a lot of work going on, and the problem has been 
a part of the problem has been it's not all necessarily connected. And this is pretty typical in, in, in sort of any sort of technology and, and um, efforts like this. Um, so that that org is looking to bring it together. For example, the W3C is doing work in this, right? So that's also another thing to look at what they've done. Um, they did a lot of work with with standards over the years. Um, but there's other organizations so you, you could look at. And again, some of these might be involved in XR Access, for example. Able Gamers is one of them. Um, and organizations like that that are solving specific it, uh, challenges for people, but they may not be solving everything. So there's like in these these bits here all around these different organizations. And so for I think for the general public is, well, that's probably too much for me to kind of wrap my head around. So an organization like XR Access is probably a good one to start and look and see what what works like that are doing uh, and just to get informed like what what are the challenges that we're looking to solve where are they being solved uh also there's a lot of academic institutions that are working on stuff like this so looking at like what what's going on there uh, and some of that is even supported by the national science foundation um, and other other grant organizations like that um, and by the way also looking at what industry is doing uh, like Microsoft has a research arm that does does a lot with accessibility, and Microsoft actually built the accessible gaming controller, which is very cool. Um, and that's, that's just one example. Like I said, you can kind of get get lost in this. So starting, I, I would say look at xraccess.org to start, just kind of see where that what's summarized at that level, and then you can kind of go off from there depending on how much time you have. Um, but just being aware of what that this is important is number one, and that's kind of what we we've been what i've been talking about is just to get let people know that we need to think about this now before xr is you know we're, we're at ready player one level xr right um you know we're, and we're still a ways away from that but we want to make sure that everybody can participate when we get to that point except for the dystopia part <laughs> the good part right um yeah excellent i mean it's uh it's such a fascinating discussion um and i'm, I'm amazed how quickly the, the time went by uh, but i do want to kind of ask one final question uh for really everyone is when you think about accessibility and xr in the future what are you most hopeful about so as most of you guys know i'm a huge springsteen fan and um you know in the song the factory he's uh springsteen says the factory gives him purpose factory gives them life and it's a negative song about the how factories dehumanize us. But the, the what he captures there is really that that work, productive creation, being part of the economy, feeling that self, sense of self-worth comes from work. And so if we can enable technologies to be to let people who otherwise cannot participate in the economy, be that people who can't travel have meetings remotely or people who um are not able to contribute uh, their their vast intelligence to uh, uh, reviewing a document or, or building a plan. Um, that would be amazing. That'd be amazing just to um, bring them back in to let them communicate productively with others and VR can enable that. Love it. <laughs> and I'll build on that. Uh, flipping the other side of that coin is having those people participate in the world uh, opens up a lot more uh, opinions and perspectives uh, that we may not have had before as well, right? So it's giving them, uh, giving everybody the ability to to participate, which then makes the whole world better, right? We also often kind of like live in our bubbles, and our bubbles have grown now with things like the internet, and um, we're we're not well, though they still def they definitely still exist, but but um, it's much much easier to be part of a larger bubble. But I would say we're even still in bubbles, like you know we're in sort of a tech bubble. 
and we talk to people outside of the tech bubble. And they're like, what are you talking about? So that still exists. Um, opening opening the technology up, uh, and if people can use it uh, for even within our bubbles, opens up those bubbles. Then maybe eventually we you know we 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 just get the perspective a much wider perspective having people involved um, because they can be involved. Yeah. So for me, what I'm most excited about. Uh, the technology, of course, is a tool, but it, what can it enable? And, you know, right now, like Vinay, you were talking about, we have this certain way of communicating or a certain way of teaching, and now we're trying to do it digitally over Zoom, and it's just a small iteration. What would be really exciting is to have somebody, some, you know, little kid around the world that gets access to this technology and something flips in their mind and they say, here's a better way to do something and it becomes just a huge transformational shift rather than having you know yet another giant multi-corporation say <laughs> uh this is how we're going to live this is how you're going to use the system but just have somebody look at that with really fresh eyes and build something new uh that enables us to communicate better that would be fantastic i like that yeah, also really all great points. And I think uh, for, for me personally, you know, when I think about uh, accessibility and XR in the future, I get I get asked this question a lot. What's the difference or similarities between AR and VR? And I, get, I answer very, very much from a technology sense. But as I think about this context, the thing we have in common uh, in AR and VR is that we look at ways that we're going to enrich our lives in the future. Um, and I think that's really what it means to be part of the XR community is how, how can we make our lives better? Um, and I think in this conversation, especially some of these examples you talked about, about the, the, the better ways to interact, the empowering, um, I think that's what makes it most hopeful. We're talking about the right things, um, but we're also talking it to the community that's diverse. Uh, not everyone's a technologist in the XR space, right? Not everyone's a developer or an engineer. Um, so you have a diverse group of folks that are coming together and really asking ourselves the questions is how can we actually make our lives better by using this technology? And entertainment is an aspect, but it's not the most important thing. That's not why we spend the time in a still very nascent industry to solve for those really big problems. Um, and so with that, uh, thanks so much for, for joining us today, Joel, um, and actually giving us access to you. Um, and, and for those, uh, for those actually listening, um, what's a great way for, for people to get in touch with you? Uh, find me on Twitter. Uh, my sign is Joelseph, J-O-E-L-S-E-F. Tweet me, friend me. Um, I, I, I talk a lot there, so I'd love to connect with you. Awesome. Great. Well, guys, thanks so much for, for spending time today. And for those of you listening, thanks so much for, for tuning in. We'd also love to hear about what you think are the opportunities for XR to address in accessibility and maybe what are some of those uh, challenges or opportunities within XR that we should address in regards to accessibility as well. Well, until next time, uh, let's uh, do something and build something together. Thanks so much for tuning to XRC Pod. You can find us wherever you find your podcasts.